a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text, where if it's not canon, it doesn't count. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and with me is the person who is cooler than Darth Maul with a quadruple-bladed lightsaber. (laughs) It's Lindsay. (laughs) It's impossible, but you know what? I'll take it. You know, if somebody could do it, Darth Maul could do it. Especially the Ray Park Darth Maul. Yes. Yes. That's what, if we get more Ray Park Darth Maul, I really want to see, like, him doing more martial arts stuff, because I'm just, ugh, I love it. I think, I think we're going to. I know he had, I think it was knee surgery earlier in the year, but now he's back training for an undisclosed role. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was Darth Maul, and that's what he's back in training for. That guy, so I don't know if you follow him on Instagram, but I do, and he posts workout videos sometimes, and he's just, he's a legitimate badass. Like, he's not one of those, like, I don't know, Bruce Willis, for example. I don't know if Bruce Willis is, like, a genuine badass, or if he's just really good at playing a badass. Ray Park is legitimately a badass. He's the real deal. But, like, on top of that, he's just the nicest guy. Yes, yes. So cool. Um... I was really sad because I, I think I mentioned this on the show before, but the weekend, I think the weekend before Solo came out, he was actually in Houston where I live at, um, at a con. And I, w- I wanted to go so bad, but we were just about to go to San Diego. And, you know, that was the whole engagement and everything. So I was trying to pinch pennies as much as I could. And I just like, ugh, there was nothing in me that could justify it. Uh, so hopefully he comes back around again because I... As someone who grew up in martial arts and who really appreciates kind of the, the culture around that and the dedication and time and effort it takes to get to the level that he's at, uh, just to shake his hand and, and just get to say hi to him would be would be awesome. But uh, So this is not the Ray Park cast, although we could probably do a whole show <laughs> it on could there. Be. And Ray Park, since I know you're listening, if you want to come on, just let us know. We'll make it work. We can work out, you know, whatever we got to do. We're flexible. Yeah, we, we're real flexible. Um, and by flexible, I mean I will call in sick to work any day you want me to. Um, so let's just jump in. Lindsay, what have you been reading lately? What have you been Star Warsing lately? So I actually finally read a non-Star Wars related book last week. And I actually have to Google the name of it. I already forgot. I think it was called The Perfect Stranger. Let me see. That's, I, that rings a bell. I might be completely making that up. But it was... My sister reads like all those Gillian Flynn novels, like Gone Girl and that type of stuff. And I was sitting with her on the beach. We were on vacation last week. And she put her book down and I just read the back of it. And the whole premise was this woman who was a journalist in Boston, and she had to basically totally leave the city, leave her career. She was like this scorned journalist, 
And she ends up moving back to Pennsylvania with an old roommate. And the roommate goes missing. And it then becomes this whole mystery of, did the roommate even exist in the first place, combined with why did she have to leave Boston and leave her career? And it was so good. I, As soon as my sister put it down, just like to walk to the water or something, she came back and I was like, I need to read this as soon as you're done. So I watched her for like a day and a half read this book. And the second I saw her turn the last page, I was like, it's mine now. I'm reading this. That's funny. Yeah, we went. So we went to the beach the weekend before you did, and uh, so I'm reading Revan right now. I'm, I'm starting. I think I mentioned it before that I'm starting to try to slowly get through the expanded universe. And I've read Revan before. I know I like it, and it continues to be uh, a solid book. But so I was there's like we had the whole family there, so there was like twelve of us or something like that. And you know everybody else is talking or whatever. And you know I didn't really have much to say, so I just opened my book and started reading whatever. And my mother-in-law goes. You know, I just, I don't get how you can just sit here and, like, read with everybody, you know, like, talking and stuff. And not, like, why are you not participating, but, like, it's so noisy and stuff. And I'm, like, she's, like, how do you do that? Like, I wish I could do that. And I was, like, well, I generally, as a rule, I just don't like people, so I've gotten really good at ignoring them. <laughs> and books seem to be, you know, the best place for that. So, um, but the thing I, I'm really excited about when it comes to books, and I... I don't know if I've mentioned this to to you before uh, or on the show, but the the group of so I'm in training right now, and on Monday um, at the the 27th will be the first day of school for my students. And this group of students that we have coming up is very high level. Like uh, I think today I heard, if the number is correct, 38 out of our 100 are GT kids. And to put that into perspective, I had a really solid group last year, like an on-level group uh, that I was really able to push pretty far. And I had four between two classes, maybe five. So, like, I have a ridiculously high amount of GT kids. So we started planning and everything, and I'm super excited because I'm going to get to get into the hero's journey and really helping them break that down and exploring the different mythologies from Star Wars to Harry Potter to some of the Disney stuff um, that has to do with the hero's journey and just get into just some really, really amazing stuff. That's awesome. That's going to be a sick year. Oh, I'm super excited. So so we're doing like projects and, you know, and stuff. And so we're going to do some stuff with the hero's journey and some projects with it. And it was really funny because my reading specialist didn't even know what the hero's journey was. Which to me was like really weird because like she's a reader too, obviously. And I guess it's just because you get so immersed in like the Star Wars world where it's like hearing Hero's Journey is like, you know, somebody hearing football. And it's just like you understand (laughs) what it is and you just assume everyone else does. So I kind of forgot that. But I'm excited to to get the kids into it because every year they, you know, I'm the teacher. So they want to like what I like, you know, so everybody gets into Star Wars for the most part. But to really take it to that next level and start digging into the hero's journey. And I'm like, I'm taking it deep with them. Like, we're getting into character archetypes and, and all kinds of stuff. So I'm That's gonna, really cool. I'm super excited. And this is going to be for the course of the year or just a semester? Uh, this is going to be like our first unit. And then we get into like biographies and autobiographies. So I'm going to do some like matching up of where we see some of the hero's journey aspects in biographies and autobiographies. Um, and then I'll probably weave it through some of the expository and informational texts we do, 
Um, but then we will circle back around uh, towards the middle-ish of the year. We get into kind of traditional literatures and myths and stuff like that. Um, and so I want to do some kind of big project there. Um, I'm thinking of kind of like taking all the different things that we've talked about and having them meld it into a story. So like, for example, like Harriet Tubman, but she's alive now during World War II, what happens kind of thing. Um, just kind of a, a historical alternate reality fiction uh, type deal. But I'm still kind of playing around with those in my brain. I've got to kind of wait until I meet the kids and see exactly what they lean towards in terms at, of what yeah. they get excited about and stuff. But as somebody who, when I started teaching, I wanted to do middle school. And at the end of the year last year, you know, I was telling my principal, you know, some ideas I had about some prep stuff I wanted to do. And she straight up told me, like, don't even start at fifth grade. Start at sixth and seventh grade level text. I was like, wow. Oh. So I get the, wow. Yeah. I get the fun elementary kids with the material that I wanted to teach in the first place. So it's kind of, it's Nirvana for me. Let's put it that, that way. That is awesome. You're going to have to be sure you uh, share some of the highlights and stuff that they come up with. I can't wait to hear this. Oh yeah, for sure. And cheap plug time. Um, if you want to see more of that, we have a Facebook page, James, the end elementary, and I'm going to be posting lots of cool stuff on there. So um, hop over and give that a like. I have to do that because I run the social media stuff. So <laughs> cheap plug time is over. And moving on, uh, the other big thing we wanted to jump into because we Drew has been taking a little bit of a break, spending some time with his family and, and going on vacation and fun stuff like that. So I have not had a chance to talk about it. Lindsay, you haven't had a chance to talk about it. The Resistance trailer. I know. I can't believe we finally got some. It uh, didn't give too much information, but just to have anything for it is so exciting. Sure, we can go with that. <laughs> Were you not as thrilled? So, okay. If you have listened to even a single episode of any of the podcasts that I'm on, and you don't know that I am a diehard fan of the animation, you probably weren't listening close enough, because I'm always screaming about how great the animation is, which I think everybody pretty much knows at this point. I just like yelling about things. And so, I was excited about Resistance. We got the little... Uh, you know, that grainy picture where people notice Cardinal in the background and we got a little bit of a peek into the animation style and, you know, got more excited. With this trailer, I'm super excited about the animation style. I really like the, the 2D. I, I prefer 2D animation, you know, being a kid of the, the 90s. That's what I grew up on. And so the as much as I love Rebels and Clone Wars, I've always like the, the Forces of Destiny animation is probably my, not my favorite stories, but my favorite animation style that Star Wars <laughs> has done thus far. Um, so seeing the bright colors, seeing the the fun atmosphere, seeing that we're going to get to meet a whole lot of new characters has me on the side of, yes, let, like let's do this. The thing that concerns me comes down to one line, which is when Poe says, you're going to go in and see who's loyal to the Resistance and who's not. And to me... The impression I got when they build this show was this is going to be Resistance versus First Order. And that gave me the worry that the Resistance versus the First Order storyline is going to be kind of ancillary. Whereas, like, the Resistance and whatever's going on at this spaceport is going to be the mystery. So, I'm just kind of... I'm apprehensive because I want more resistance versus first order stuff because I've liked everything they've given us 
uh, with regards to that. I would like to see it cross over eventually and go into whatever time period we get between 8 and 9 and maybe even some other stuff that's going on during uh, 7 and 8. So I am cautiously optimistic. That said, I was cautiously optimistic about Solo. I'm a pretty big fan of Solo. So all things considered. Cautious optimism is always a good thing if you ask me. See, now, what do you think, though, the longevity of the show is going to be? Because if you think about Rebels, if you're watching season one and you have in your head that is as far as the show is going to go, it just seems like this really tiny predecessor to the Rebel Alliance on this planet that nobody cares about. And then it turned into the whole rebellion against the Empire and then obviously against Thrawn. So maybe there's a chance, or at least hopefully there's a chance, that maybe the first half of season one might focus on this little spaceport, but then eventually we really grow into that conflict against the First Order. Yeah, and I think that's where my cautious optimism comes in, is you know everything they've given us thus far is... It's good. You know, one other thing that kind of plays into that, now that I think about it, is probably the fact that Dave Filoni's not in the day-to-day. And not because... Okay, I'm a huge Dave Filoni fan, obviously. Um, I'm I'm definitely in the camp of, like, if all else fails, like, let Filoni be in charge of the story group of Star Wars. And that's because I think he has, out of everybody who we've seen create stories, I think he has the best understanding of what makes Star Wars... And not just Star Wars, but mythic storytelling work. Um, And he's not a part of the day-to-day. So that makes me worry just because I don't know who is. Um, And I don't know what their background is. I'm one of those people, like, I like things the first time I see them. But I'm a rewatcher and a rereader because I always get more out of a story once I'm comfortable knowing what the story is going into it. So, like... The Last Jedi, the more I watched it, the more I liked it. Even Solo, like, not I only saw it twice in theaters, but just sitting and thinking about the movie and listening to the soundtrack, I just, I, I continue thinking, like, I really, really like this movie, even though it's, all, you know, near the bottom of my list. So, it, it's, that, it's, it's that weird thing where I'm like, it's kind of ridiculous to be this privileged where my concern is who the creator of the show is. Because, you know, growing up, I didn't care who made Rocket Power or Rugrats or Hey Arnold. Like, I just wanted a good show. So it's like a weird thing where it it almost seems unnatural, but it's also the the current reality. Um, And I also, I I like checking out other things that Star Wars creators have made. Like, the reason I watched Looper was because Ryan Johnson got announced as the the director of Episode 8. And Looper is, it's up there with some of my favorite movies, you know, and... I just enjoy that nerdy style stuff of being able to go and look at other things that they've done. So, again, I'm not I'm not nearly as excited as I was for Rebels. I mean, I had Rebels posters up on my classroom wall before I even saw an episode. Um, you know, I was immersing myself in it, and here I'm. I just think it might not be the one that connects with me the most, but I think I'm gonna enjoy it. I hope you do, because, I mean, for me, I didn't really get into Rebels until the end of season one. I went in with the whole, and I think, like most people, oh, this is a kid show, this is so lighthearted, this isn't accurate to the story that I know, 
who are these characters? And then by the end of it, obviously, it's, you know, I think better than some movies that we get in Star Wars. So I definitely hope that Resistance takes me the same way that Rebels did. And I'm trying to just be excited that Filoni's not the one in the day-to-day, just because maybe we'll get something newer and fresher instead of everything connecting. And I know I say this all the time, but I do love when all the stories connect and have these little Easter eggs. I just don't want it to be the same exact three elements on repeat all the time. So I'm, I'm excited to see what someone new, whoever that person is, is going to bring into the universe and how they grow the story instead of just connecting it. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's an absolutely wonderful point. Um, and you know, thinking about it with Filoni not there, like the likelihood that we're going to get a you know a Rex or a, even a Hera, um, Ahsoka kind of shoehorned in there is a lot less likely. You got old. Had to happen sometime, Rex. The one thing that kind of bothered me about the conversation around Rebels is once some of those other characters came in, and I'm as guilty as this as anybody, but we kind of lost sight of the Sabine and Zeb and Ezra stories and even Hera's story to focus on the Rex and Ahsoka stories mm-hmm. um, and things like that. And if we're going to get this new story, like I really want it to focus on these new characters you know i want it to i i want an eye into what it takes to be a resistance fighter in the day-to-day i think that's what and we'll 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 get to battlefront but the battlefront one novel I, i think that's what it was attempting to do was show us you know the people on the ground in the rebellion and i i don't think it did a good job in that meanwhile rogue one you know same thing did do a good job in that so Finding something that can kind of be a kid show, but also give us an eye into this Cold War scenario about the resistance of the, resistance and the First Order is something I want, and I'm I'm definitely hoping for the best for this show. Going back to kind of your original question, which started these tirades, uh, I, honestly, I think two to three seasons. I really do. I think they're gonna do. I, I think they're going to make this one really short, kind of fill in some facts they need to about the galaxy surrounding um, the the sequel trilogy that we're getting now, and then I really feel like they're going to take it to other places. Um, I, I think once that uh, streaming network comes out, they can use Resistance as a way to get more kids onto, you know, getting their parents on the streaming network. So you give it two to three years, and then you just take that show, put all of it on... The streaming network but you don't do any new episodes so anybody who doesn't have it doesn't you know lose uh interest and start spreading bad publicity but then you've got you know the john favreau series you've got you know whatever else star wars stuff is going on there of course clone wars maybe a direct to home movie or something like that yeah i mean i'm definitely interested to see i don't know how accurate this information is but I saw something online, because, you know, the internet is always the most reliable source out there. I think you learned that today in your research, right? Yes, except you you can't use any of that information because if you use it in any way, shape, or form, it's called plagiarism. Oh, well, I'm going to plagiarize this 100% factual picture that I saw. 
Um, but I think that this show takes place just like six months before Force Awakens. So if that's true, it definitely doesn't leave us with a whole lot of time. So I think you might be pretty accurate with that timeline, especially with the thought that maybe it'll go in between or during episodes eight and nine. Yeah, that's what I want to see, you know, especially if we get, you know, a, a five, ten year gap and we we meet Ray next when she's a proficient Jedi or Jedi master to see like her going through the, the experience of training would be would be pretty cool, and I'd like to see it in an animated form. So, But anyways, we will talk more Resistance when the time comes and we get a full trailer and full episodes and all that stuff. But the other big thing I wanted to talk about, and this I'm considering this book related because it's it, it came out in written form, and <laughs> this are yeah, I, you know what, I'm, I'm the host. I get to decide what's... Bit of a stretch, but I'll take it. Yeah, I, I was trying to think of better strategies all day, but I was being bored to death, so it was kind of harder. Um, this article that came out in the New York Times, uh, kind of a an open letter, for lack of a better term, by Kelly Marie Tran to the trolls and the haters and then the negative people out there on the internet who were lambasting her and deriding her and degrading her as a human being. We'll, we'll link it to the show notes. It's also in our Facebook group if you want to jump over there, the Star, uh, Clashing Saber Star Wars community. I posted it there yesterday. But, Lindsay, you read this article today, and I wanted to kind of get your first impression because I have very strong feelings about this. I did. So I read it today, and I guess I should start with really my past, for lack of a better word, interactions with Kelly Marie Tran. So I don't have Instagram or anything like that, but being that it is 2018, it's still really hard to stay away from social media entirely. And when you follow the celebrities the way we do as Star Wars fans, anytime one of them posts something on Instagram or on Twitter, it blows up on any Facebook group. Um, So I was always still pretty familiar with the types of things Kelly Marie Tran was posting on Instagram. And I was just blown away by her. I think she was just, she seemed like such a down to earth, realistic, and just overall, I guess, bubbly is the word that you have to use to describe her. So I was really just taken with her. I'm a big fan of hers. Not that I'm a big fan of Rose, um, but that's really just more of the character. But Kelly Marie Tran herself, Big, big fan of hers. So I was pretty amazed when she decided to delete her Instagram and then just stay quiet for as long as she has. But reading this article today or this letter today, I was incredibly moved. Um, Not that I can totally relate to everything she was saying or be as empathetic as I probably should be. Um, you know, being a straight white female in 2018 is very, very different than being an Asian American or a person of color. Um, so it's hard to be completely in her shoes, but the way she articulated the subtle types of abuse that she's faced and why she decided that it shouldn't matter was... I don't even have the words. It was just so moving. Um, So I do hope that she continues to speak out 
in this way. Um, just like her, I think it was a very positive, very strong, very articulate response to everything she's been facing. So I hope she continues to make these kind of statements and stay at the forefront of this, for lack of a better word, this real abuse that she's faced and just be continue to be that positive role model. Yeah, absolutely. I am a I'm a Rose fan. I'm a huge fan of Kelly Marie Tran. So I I've talked briefly about it on the show. I don't know if I've ever gotten like directly into it, but I for years had an eating disorder and struggled with body image issues and still to this day to some extent um have to fight those battles daily. And so anybody who is like truly body positive and and out there, especially, you know, celebrities showing you the real side of things, uh, the real side of who they are, you know, and not just like the no makeup pictures, but like, I love, she used to do like side by sides of her, like on the cover of Vanity Fair and her in the same pose, uh, you know, on her deck at her house and just how different they were just to kind of keep it real for, for young men and young women. And this is something that I don't know how, but I really want to get in into my students' hands at some point um, because I think this is an amazing message. I think the fact that she took months to, you know, sit and formulate this idea um, to really get in tune with herself um, and not just retaliate based on the things that the, the negative haters were saying. Um, it's... We live in this weird time where we we invalidate anybody who anybody's opinion who is different than us and anybody who supports anything that's different than us and the idea that the, this is creeping into our fandom is is honestly sickening um you know at the, at the end of the article she says that she's the first person of color to or the first female person of color to be a lead in a star wars movie and it was weird because i didn't even realize it but then i had to like self-analyze and go well did i not realize that because she's light-skinned you know being asian because i noticed that john boyega was the first black person to be a lead in star wars you know uh and or was it because i've become just so accustomed to this and star wars is is just existing in the way that it should, where we don't have to think about these things. And, you know, I didn't really come up with any answer to that. I don't really think there is a good answer to it, but I think it's something we have to keep in mind. And I think we do, we need to make sure these conversations are happening uh, in a healthy way like this. Like she did not come out and attack these people personally, which I think was the best part is they attacked her personally for a character that they didn't like. And then she turned around and took her character as a human being and used it to defend herself without attacking them personally. That's, there's a little irony in that. Um, that's kind of sweet. So overall, I just I, I loved the whole message. Um, I I love Kelly Marie Tran. I wish that there was a way where people like her could be on Instagram and we we could filter the negative comments um, and not just so that everything like like we. We have to make the difference between a negative comment and, like, a troll or a hateful comment. Like, if you don't like Rose, like, Lindsay, you just did a perfect example. You like Kelly Marie Tran, you don't like Rose. She wasn't a character that connected with you. Awesome. 
you know, that's different from saying like some of the, this is a family friendly podcast, so we're not going to repeat some of the things that were written in the comments on there, but it's just, it's just asinine and ridiculous that in 2018 human beings are still acting in this way. Um, and it, and it's, I don't know. It's, it's just weird. I don't know. I don't really know how else to put it into words. No, and there's no way to put it into words because it's such a new fascination for us, I think, to have celebrities be so easily accessible where we can actually hurt them. You know, it used to be 15 years ago or so when we were growing up, if we didn't like a celebrity, you know, you might write, write a piece of fan mail but no one is going to go through that effort to sit down and write a letter to someone explaining why they hate them. But it's so easy now to just write what seems like to us a quick comment on a photo. But they can read that. They can internalize that. And it affects them so much. So the whole thought that the things we say and do can really affect these celebrities as people is such a new concept. And I think that's why it's so hard to put into words how people are responding and how this is making people feel. Yeah, but also it's been almost 20 years since The Phantom Menace came out. And look what's happened to Jake Lloyd. Uh, Ahmed Best just you know admitted a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, whatever it was, that he considered suicide after playing Jar Jar Binks because of the hate that it got for a character that he played that if you look at exactly what he was supposed to be doing as that character, his job, he did it perfectly. So we, we, we as a Star Wars fandom have been, I, I shouldn't even say that. There are sections of the Star Wars fandom that have been doing this for going on two decades and... I think we need to remember as podcasters and even just people with Twitter accounts, like you have so much influence just with the words that you say. It really, we really live in a generation where, you know, the keyboard is mightier than the sword. Um, and, and we need to remember that. And if you need more positivity, I mean, there's so, so many people out there. Go follow Neil Lowry. Uh, he always sharing positivity, you know, unmistakably Star Wars, Sky Talkers, Brick City Blockade. Like, there's so many people out there. And it's kind of funny because, like, when the thing with Kelly Marie Trans started, I honestly didn't even know people were being hateful to her because I found a little corner of fandom where people are generally respectful of each other and, you know, save for a few things here and there and some ridiculous podcast battles things are really welcoming and and it's amazing and i think we need to be conscious and, and you know of continuing to build up those communities and as much as i like the idea of the hashtag force out hate i think we need to embrace more star wars love it, it goes to what rose says like we're gonna win by embracing what we love not fighting what we hate That is, I didn't even make that connection, but it's absolutely perfect that she gets to be the one to say that line. Yeah, which I've always loved that line. So anyways, we, this is really off topic for Don't Burn the Sacred Text, but like I said, Drew's taking a little bit of a break right now. I'm not sure when we're going to get it uh, to hit up another episode of the, the main show while he's, he, you know, spending time with his family and stuff, which is awesome. 
Uh, so I wanted to make sure that we, we touched on that because it was a subject matter that I think was important to me and also important to you, Lindsay. So thank you for engaging no, in the conversation. No, it's definitely important. And like you said, I think it's just so much more important to focus on the positivity. And for me, I think the story that I hope we look back on in five years isn't how Kelly Marie, Marie Tran was bullied off the internet. I hope the story we remember is she came back with this incredibly positive and loving and very mature response to it all. There you go. That perfectly wraps it up. Absolutely. So jumping into more positive things, we have a heck of a good book, uh, in my opinion, that we are talking about tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Most Wanted. Uh, this is the Han Solo Kira adventure that happens pre-Solo. Um, so it's a little insight into their lives before the events that we uh, get at the beginning of Solo. So let's jump into this right away and, you know, right away, 30 minutes into the show. Um, Lindsay, just what, what are your overall impressions of this book? Overall impressions, I really enjoyed it. In some ways, I enjoyed it more than the solo movie. I definitely enjoyed it more than Last Shot, which is the other book leading up to the release of Solo. Um, and and it's tough. I always catch myself for books like this comparing it to other things. But just with no other comparisons, just on its own, I thought it was really enjoyable. And I think it kind of continued the trend that we see with Star Wars books where the quote-unquote young adult reads are the more fast-paced, higher energy, and overall just sometimes better reads than the quote-unquote adult novels. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, The thing that, so right out of the get-go, the thing that took me off guard was the fact that Han and Kira did not like each other at the start of this book. Um, because you, I mean, you just assume with the beginning of Solo, you know, how passionately they seem to care for each other that, you know, it's been something that's going on for a while. And I don't know exactly how the timeline matches up, but I never got the impression that they were, you know, people who used to dislike each other, who came to love each other. Um, and so being somebody who doesn't read the back covers of the book, like I didn't know what was going to happen. And so it was really interesting to right out of the gate kind of what i was expecting was thrown off guard and you don't really have like you said it's fast paced you don't really have time to marinate in the fact that they don't really like each other it's just like oh well here you go you're in the adventure catch up which i think is a very star wars thing like you don't get a lot of time to figure out r2d2 and c3po's relationship you just gotta escape with them right like you don't get a lot of time to figure out han solo you just you gotta escape the death star with them so that felt very, very Star Wars to me. The, the, the whole thing, I think, was good. I don't oh, I don't know if I liked it more than I liked Solo. That's something I'm going to have to think about. It is... It's not a... Well, we'll get to that closer to the end. We'll, say, we'll save that for the <laughs> Lothcats. That's what you call a tease, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> Stay tuned. See, for me, for me, I'll defend it. The reason I think I liked it more than Solo is because this is the really, really young, naive... It's not that Han Solo is idealistic in this by any means. He's just young and naive and so perfectly arrogant, but not 
in a bad way by any means just in a typical like oh here's this really like confident but nice teenage kid of course he's gonna be a little arrogant i think that this was the character that we were all expecting going into the solo movie for the first time whereas really we kind of got him a little bit more jaded in the movie um understandably so but this is the wide-eyed, nothing-can-ever-hurt-me kid that I was really excited to learn more about. Yeah, I think we're getting this Han who is the good guy whose moral compass gets slowly eroded over time. And it's this—it's a long burn that I think is really good, really nice, because then in A New Hope you get kind of a quick turnaround. You know, you have, it takes him years to, to get jaded, and then he meets Luke and Leia, and, you know, I think he sees a lot of himself as a younger kid in Luke, um, and obviously, you know, he has the emotional connection to Leia, and I think it makes those relationships so much more meaningful and impactful, because he's, he's coming back to him true self, his true self again, and then when you get to TFA, it becomes so much more tragic, because that that cynicism we know is just this shield that he has put up and that the the good person that's in him the good person that we you know all know feels like he failed his son you know he he has to feel like you know his son had everything he didn't have and still he couldn't be you know a good parent to him it just we said on the last episode, I love tragedy. And it, it makes it a little more tragic in some senses, but also I think it just makes the, the events of the original trilogy a lot more impactful. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And it was, I guess, different for me because when I was reading it, I wasn't thinking of the Force Awakens version of Han. And I would like to now go back and almost reread this keeping that in mind for me, it was, I was reading it with the thought of, um, the solo version of Han and then with the new hope version of Han. So to think that far in advance and see how really full circle it came is a really interesting point. I didn't do that. My first go around reading this, but I would, <laughs> I'd like to go back and give that a shot. Yeah. I think one of the major complaints that kind of came out of solo was that for some people like the, like you said, the naive, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed kind of kid didn't really work for them. They didn't really feel like that was Han Solo. And to me, it's a Han Solo that makes sense because Han Solo is a very emotional character. Like, he lives based on his emotions. He doesn't think through things. He even says it in uh, in The Force Awakens. You know, he doesn't ask until he's done it. Uh, he, he just follows his gut. He follows his emotions. And somebody who is like that, I think, is somebody who is... It tends to get more, like, swing more one way or the other, and, and not necessarily in, like, for lack of a better term, a bipolar way, but just if they get hot, they get really hot. If they get dedicated to something, they get really dedicated to something, you know? Um, if they believe in something, they're all about it. If they hate something, they're all against it, you know, uh, kind of thing. And I, I feel like that's the Han we get um, across the story. I also thought it was pretty interesting that Han, you know, is this character that Kira and uh, Subo really rally behind, you know? And, and I thought that was really interesting because 
I think Luke, when he was getting trying to get Han to to join the rebellion, you know, he really looked up to him, kind of like rallying behind him and and stuff. And then you go to you know end of Return of the Jedi, and he's the general that everybody's willing to follow into war. And you go to Dakar, and he's at the head of the table, and people are wanting to follow him into war. Trying to be helpful. <laughs> when did that ever help? And don't say the Death Star. And it's just this. It's this other trait that I'm starting to notice in Solo. You know, Chewbacca sticks with him, even though whether there's a life dead or not is is questionable. So, what do you think this book adds to Han as kind of a a leader in terms of just people rallying behind him? Well, I think one of the benefits and one of the reasons why it's so easy to see in this book is the fact that we really effortlessly switch between his point of view and Kira's point of view. So being able to understand it from her perspective and seeing that, okay, we can acknowledge the fact that this kid thinks really well on his feet and there's something so charismatic about him. So it makes sense to see that leadership from Kira's point of view because Han never seems to notice that he has this leadership. You know, he wants to become one of the heads of the White Worms, not because he wants to be a leader, just because he wants more food. He is always, he always has been completely oblivious to the fact that people want to follow him. So I think this book makes it pretty clear that that's just one of his inherent traits. It's something he was born with, and that's why he doesn't realize he has that trait is because it's been that way his whole life. Yeah, and I, I think he's a survivor, you know, and, and people want to rally behind survivors because once you get down in those trenches, they know, like, you know how to get them out of there. And I think we see that in Han here. Every problem they hit, he may not have the right answer, but he has an answer. Um, which is, it's something that people, people lean towards, you know, uh, Yoda is not as appealing as a, uh, you know, a leader for some people just speaking generally, because he's going to sit and meditate on things and think through every pathway. Whereas some, you know, groups of people who are more quick to action, which, you know, characters like Kira and, and people who are going to tend to end up in the darker recesses of the galaxy are going to want to be by a survivor because they don't have the time to sit there and think and meditate on whether things are going to work out and, and all the possibilities. They need to act now and they can just deal with what happens because of it later. Um, and I think that's kind of the Han we start to see in this, you know, with the he, he is about the, the moment right now. Um, and I think that's a great point you made about the White Worms is he, he definitely doesn't want to become this leader because of his belief in the White Worms or anything like that. But he, he just wants to eat more. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. I'm going to add to that, too. You know, you, you mentioned how he is the doer, not the thinker, and it's totally right. But maybe one of the other reasons why he is such a good leader and why people want to be around him is because he recognizes that. He knows he's not going to stay up all night in the safe house and come up with the perfect plan. He lets Kira do that because he knows that that's her strength and he knows they're better off if she's in charge of that. So for as cocky and as arrogant as Han can be, 
he absolutely knows what his limits are and he's more than willing to step aside and let someone better than him do those parts. At this point in his life. I yes. Oh. And and by the time we see him again much later on, you know, I think in New Hope, not so much, but at this point in his life, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree, but I, I made that point just because, again, I think it goes back to that character change that we were talking about earlier, that there are very different versions of Han, and that kind of helps define the, the type of person he is. Like, now he's willing to step aside and you know, let other people do things. But once he gets burned by Beckett and Kira and everything else, you know, he had, they had, you know, he had more money, more privilege than he ever could have imagined being in the White Worms at the end of Solo. And then he gets betrayed by everybody. And, you know, so we get that more jaded person who, you know, the old man told us to sit here. I'm just going to sit here. Like, I'm not going to, invest myself in anything that doesn't benefit me and you can have your little plans off to the side but don't let it mess with my plan over here um and and i think that again that goes back to that drastic kind of switch we were talking about earlier um so the other character obviously i wanted to jump into was kira because i kira is a character i'm confused about because I don't know if I'm supposed to like her because she's edgy or just pity her because she's so cynical. And then I have moments where I kind of think that's the point. It's kind of like a Mace Windu situation where you're supposed to hate him. Like, that's the point of Mace Windu is he is the focal point of everything that is wrong with the Jedi. Um, if you go back and listen to our Dark Disciple episode, you can hear more about that. But I think that's kind of the point with Kira is you're never supposed to really know where she stands um what are your thoughts on that Lindsay? just kira as a character in this book overall and 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 just what are your feelings on her so my feelings and i'm happy that we had this book because i couldn't really decide if just because i am a really big game of thrones fan if i just liked kira because it's amelia clark um but i'm now confident because of this book that it's it's the character that i like And I really do like her. I think she's very charismatic. I think she brings a lot to any story that she's going to be in. I just don't trust her. And I still don't totally get what her driving force is. But that doesn't mean I hate her. I think she's not just an interesting character, but deep, 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 deep down... I do think she is one of the good guys. Maybe she's just more self-motivated than the typical good guy. Um, I just, that's that's how I would describe her, though. Bottom line is I really like her. I think there's a lot of good in her. I just don't trust her. So I want to dig into that for a second. Let's say, and of course, you know, this is a difficult question to ask, Let's say we don't have Solo. Let's say it's a Rogue One situation. Catalyst comes out before Rogue One. Let's say Most Wanted comes out before uh, Solo. Do you go into Solo thinking that Kira is a person that you can trust? Ooh, good question. I think I would, actually. I I do, too. Yeah. I mean, which I think would have really made the ending of Solo that much more 
you know, of a punch in the gut. Because... It would have made it more shocking, but less yeah. believable. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think because it could be so drastic, but because we know where she ended up, I was reading Most Wanted and picking up on things here and there like, oh, look, she did that. Of course it makes sense that she would be so self-serving at the end of Solo. Of course this makes sense. But if... I read Most Wanted first, I think I would have written a lot of those things off. Okay, I can see that. And, you see, the thing that, when it comes to Kira, I really appreciated about this book is getting in her head. Because, like I said, I'm very confused about her. And this is one of the things I love about these tie-in novels and even the movie novelizations, is you get in these characters' heads, and I think it just enhances the stories that we see on the screen. Like, I remember for growing up, the episode one novel came out, and I must have read that junior novel five times, if not five times a week, because there was just so much additional stuff that added to the movies, like the things that Qui-Gon was thinking during the duel and the things that Obi-Wan was thinking as he was hanging there. It was just amazing, and I think this book did that for Kira, she she's she's an amazing character uh she fascinates me but getting to see not just that she acts selfishly but that she's always thinking through all these different ways out all these different ways things can go and she doesn't have to vocalize it but you get the feeling that she's always looking for not just She's not just a character who does things for her own benefit. I think she does do things for her own benefit. But she's also a character who is ready for anything that's going to happen. She's got a plan. You know, she even talks about having, scouting out places, you know, looking for an exit. Whereas Han is just going to try to shoot his way out of it. And I thought that was a really cool thing to be able to see kind of Han's thought processes compared and contrasted to Kira's. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my biggest takeaway with getting to understand Kira's mentality and her train of thought is that when I walked out of Solo, I mistook her for a victim of circumstance. And it was, to me, a matter of, oh, she was in this god-awful situation, you know, with the white worms. She absolutely had to get out. This poor thing, she must have done whatever it took to get out of that situation and to be safe. But now having been in her head for half of this novel, it is so much deeper than that. I wouldn't describe her as a victim of circumstance at all. I think she's more than capable of creating the circumstance and deciding what her fate is and going forward on that. You know, I don't think she's nearly the victim that we get to know her as in solo. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think you're absolutely on point there. And, you know, we can talk with Ray Park when he comes on the show and, and ask him more about that ending part with Kira. I think that'll be a good conversation. Um, <laughs> He'll have all the insight. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he will. No, I mean, seriously, I, I r really hope we get something with Kira. After. I think we will uh, eventually, but I want some all Kira stuff post-Solo. I think... Oh, so badly. Like, Rogue One, it makes sense that we didn't really get anything else with those characters because... You kind of got everything you needed to know about them in that movie. 
I don't think that's true for Solo. Like, I mean, we talked about it ad nauseum how a lot of Solo, as good as it was, felt like a setup movie for setting yes. up these other parts of the galaxy. So I hope we get more into that. And the other thing I hope we get a little bit more of is Solo. I thought I thought he was a fun character. Um, it was kind of nice kind of seeing him as really the moral compass for the two ends of the spectrum that are Han and Kira. You know, Han's the one that's going to rush into everything. Kira's the one that's going to think through every exit. And Sulo's kind of kind of there in the middle, which, you know, Drew mentioned on one of the main shows a really good point, how all the characters in Last Jedi, or the main characters, are kind of set up with an angel and a devil on their shoulder, right? Finn has Rose and DJ. Rey has Kylo and Luke. And this, I kind of felt like it was the reverse of that. Where you have the angel and the devil who, you know, in Han and Kira, who get their moral compass. And I just thought it was a an interesting dynamic between the the three of them. And I really, I, I want to see more of this character because I, I want more, just a better understanding of how he impacted their lives in the long term. You know, that's a really interesting way to look at it. And, I mean, I liked his character. But until you said that, I really attributed him more as just a way to get someone new into the story. Just because it's not really character heavy. It really is more about these two main characters going through this plot and going through this conflict. It's not like other Star Wars books or movies where we have a really wide assortment of characters. You know, if it weren't for Sulo we would pretty much just be stuck with the same two people throughout the entire book. So I pretty much attributed him as just a way to break up that monotony. But you thinking of it in terms of the inverse of the devil and the angel, that is that totally changes his character for me. Not that I didn't like him. I think I just didn't really understand his purpose until you said that. Yeah, it kind of, when I was reading it, I was definitely thinking of him just as, you know, another character. But as I sat down to write, you know, some notes down, I really started to to realize his character was a little bit more important than than we thought, you know, he was originally. I, I think, but I also think that's part of the power of a character like that, is he kind of just sits there in the shadows, and the next thing you know, he's kind of like the, the sails to the boat kind of situation. Uh, so, so digging into like the overall plot, uh, of the book, this is a, this is a book where the plot is almost irrelevant, honestly. Like it's just such mm-hmm. a character study of Han and Kira. Um, and, and Ray Carson basically tells you that right away, putting them in basically the same situation, you know, um, when they're going to the, the little bidding war it's very clear in the way that it's written that Han and Kira are going through pretty much the same experience here and yet they're approaching it in very different ways and that kind of sets up the whole rest of the story and I I thought the ser- the story was serviceable. I thought it was fine um, but again, I think it was mostly a character study. <laughs> I agree, and to be totally honest, for as much as I really do like this book and I love these characters, I, by the end of it, was pretty bored with the plot, if I'm being totally honest. You know, I didn't really care about what the outcome was. Not because I knew what the outcome was, I just didn't necessarily care. 
what I cared about was how did Han get to where we see him in the beginning of Solo? And how did Kira get to whatever fragments of her we get to understand? Um, so yeah, I completely agree. It was definitely more of a character study. I think it was supposed to be more of a character study and the plot kind of bored me. And one of the things, I don't know if you had the same thoughts. Um, but in terms of plot, one of the things I just kept waiting for that never really happened was for old man. Um, what was his name? The old man, Paolo. Yes. I I want more of him. I was really surprised at how he was just kind of there. He served a quick purpose, and then that was it. I really thought he was going to come back in some big, major way, and we didn't really get to see it. So I think one of my frustrations with the plot was I was waiting for something to happen the whole time, and it was a little anticlimactic on that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely was the same way. I thought there was going to be more of him. It's funny because I kept picturing him as the the slave master from Canto Bight um, in The Last Jedi, the one with, like, the forearms and all the boils and everything on him. I don't know why. That's just the picture that I had in my head, except, like, a human version of that. But I kept picturing... Um... In the beginning of Aladdin, the guy who, like, goes up to Aladdin in the cave that ends up being Jafar or whatever. Yeah. That's that's, awesome. that's who I kept picturing. That's awesome. I think, you know, again, because this is a character study, you he's there, like you said, to serve a purpose, to show us that Han is... He's investing in other people, but he's doing it in a way that benefits him. But at the same time, it goes back to that thing that people rally around him like uh paolo didn't want to be friends with anybody else you know but han comes and gives him some food oh i want to be friends with you and then he brings in these other strangers he's like oh you're han's friends you're my friends you know um i think it really enhanced that aspect of of han solo but or i guess just han at this point he wouldn't be Han yeah. solo at this point uh but in terms of like yeah the major plot it was it was just kind of it was just kind of bland and i think the the only real issue i had with this book and i this goes to the plot is how it ended uh it's not that i didn't like it but i would i think i would have liked it a better if kira had joined the engineer and then discovered she'd made a mistake and then han and sulo have to go save her and she kind of does this she resists against it at first but then she sees you know, like she does with uh, the engineer and the way she talks about the Wookiees and slaves and stuff. She sees something like that and decides to leave. So that when you get to her deciding to go with Maul, you know that the choice is really hard, not just because of her relationship with Han, but because it's so similar to the situation with the engineer. And she knows it, it can't end well. See, I would disagree just because to have her go back and forth and back and forth so many times, if it happened in that short of a time span, it either wouldn't be believable or it wouldn't seem like that difficult of a thing for her to do. So I like that she didn't go with the engineer just because it made a little bit stronger case for her character. Like she is more consistent. She has the ability to be more loyal 
And that's why the disloyalty in Solo can come off as more of a shock. Yeah, but also at the same time, I think at the end of Solo, it's kind of the ultimate act of loyalty. Because she knows that Han doesn't have a shot if he ends up in the grasp of Maul. And she kind of is like, well, my life is pretty much already caught here. I'm not going to let Han get caught here. Whereas if she goes with the engineer, she's doing it out of... If I was writing it, I would have her do it, you know, out of selfish interest. And then she learns that she would have been better off being loyal. And so when you get to Solo, it's kind of a, well, I'm going to do the same action, but it has a very different meaning to it. But, you know, it's kind of one of those personal preference things. I don't think it was a bad ending. One of the things I did like about the ending was, to me, it justified a big problem I had with the book in general, which is that as I was reading it, you know, the whole time they're really trying to get back with the white worms, get back in Proxima's good graces. And the whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, why the hell is this something that they want? Why don't they find all these other options available to them other than just defaulting back to the white worms and trying to save face? And then by the end of the book, they at least realized, okay, we need to get out. So I'm happy that the book ended up ultimately there with them realizing we might have made a mistake coming back in general. Yeah, I think kind of one of those situations like like a a wife who is being abused going back to her husband. And it's like, Mm. it doesn't really make sense. But psychologically, it's just kind of like, I don't know, you you know the situation. Like, at least with the White Worms, they know how bad things are going to be. Whereas with, you know, the Engineer, they don't, kind of. I don't know, I, I'm a terrible person. So I was sitting there going, go with the Engineer! Like, that's more food than you've ever seen in your life! Um, because I, I, I wouldn't be able to survive on, on those dog treats and that rat porridge, so... I think that's that's kind of how I looked at that. Um, But I do, I'm definitely with you that I think the fact that they end this book with them realizing, like, we have to get out of here. And with the situation with Sulo, and and they realize, like, we don't have forever to do that. Like, if we're going to make things happen, if we're going to be able to live the life we want to live, we got to do it now. And I, I think the other thing that was really powerful about the ending and just the overall story is the fact that this was not really a romance novel. There really was not a romance factor in it. Now, when you look at, like, Rebel Rising, a young adult novel, novel major uh, romantic relationship for Jin. Leia, there's a major romantic relationship in there. Like, it's just Lost Stars. It's a staple of young adult writing. And I think Ray Carson taking the... Not taking, rather, the easy route of hey, this is Han and Kira who are in love in the beginning of Solo, so I'm going to have them be in love, you know, or fall in love during this book. But you kind of get those inklings, and then she's like, eh, no, you're not getting the whole thing. Like, you got to go to Solo for that. I thought it was was pretty cool. I thought it was cool, too, because it, it kept the tension up. Because, you know, as readers and as the audience, we know where they end up, so there's that little bit of dramatic irony that we never see fully form 
Um, so it definitely kept me on my toes. And I really like that it allowed me to see these two characters as individuals, not as half of a whole. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, but that is a very good point. And it's, I think that enhances Solo because you get more of that star-crossed lover uh, situation where, you know, they are these two individuals and their lives just don't match up. You know, it's just... They're... they're it's just never going to work. Like, the, the situation is never right for them and they can't force it. I think, you know, that's kind of what hurts Anakin and Padme is their relationship is very forced, you know? Uh, it, it's... Yeah one that there's no way that they could have made that work well um, and still be the individuals they wanted to be. And that's kind of the same situation I think we get with, uh, with Han and Kira here. So, you know, speaking of the ending and we, we obviously have some time in between most wanted and solo. I'm not sure how far apart this is. This happens 13 BBY solo happens about, five or ten bby isn't it something like that so there's a like a five to eight year somewhere in yeah there i range. think it starts off like 10 and then ends at five there's a good chunk of time that passes within solo that we don't yeah. get to say yeah okay, and so... i think i think they're keeping it all very ambiguous on purpose yeah i i agree completely so roughly three years between the end of this book and the beginning of solo after reading this book do you want more han kira adventures pre solo i do yeah and i think i actually want them focused more from kira's point of view though yeah no i you are correct that was the right answer you may <laughs> choose door number one and um, it leads right to ray park yeah <laughs> Uh, oh, if only you did door number two, Ray Park and Emily Clark, Clark were behind there. Oh, I missed man. out. Oh. Anyways, um, so, yeah, I mean, unless you have anything else to, to really add, I think this is a very simple book. I think it was designed to be that way. Um, it, it, it was kind of giving us just more of the characters of Han and Kira. What are what's your your overall Lothcat rating of this from one to five? Five being the most, the best book ever, aka Lost Stars, or one being Battlefront. I would give it a three, not because it was bad. I guess really a three point five. It wasn't bad. It was really good. It just wasn't like a must read. You know, I'm not going to tell anyone that. Oh, you absolutely have to read this book to understand these characters. You know, it's not like Catalyst in that regards, but it's still, you know, if you have time and if you're interested, it's really easy and enjoyable read. Yeah, no, I I would definitely give it a solid three. I think if the plot was just a tad bit stronger, it jumps up to that 3.5 or 4 range. This is one of those stories like, uh, like Leia, Princess of Alderaan. Like, if we never got the book Leia, Princess of Alderaan, Leia's story is not impacted that much, but the fact that we do get it adds a lot to her story. And I think that's Yeah, that's a great this. way to put it. Um, but with Kira more particularly than even Han, I think we get a lot more of an understanding of Kira than we do 
um, of Han in this book. And I'm excited. So I, I haven't seen Solo after finishing this book. Um, and we've got about a month until Solo gets released onto uh, digital and, and home release. I'm excited to go back now with the impression I have of these characters and see what kind of nuggets are in the uh, in the film itself. Oh, totally agree. I'd be interested too. You know, assuming we do get more stories with Kira, I would be really interested to go back in a few years and see if understanding her more makes me like or dislike this book any more than I currently do or change that rating at all. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's one of the fun things about these books. I So I mentioned it before, but like I buy the hardback when it first comes out, but then I like getting the paperback later kind of as a reread book because I don't care if, it get, care if it gets messed up. And and I enjoy, you know, waiting a while and then going back and reading it. Like, we'll get into this with, when we do our Battlefront episode, but going back yeah. to Battlefront 2... Uh-huh. I was like, I knew I love this book already going into it. And so just reading it was like a joy ride even more than the first time. Um, and, and to a lesser extent, I think most one is going to be the same thing. And I, I think it's going to be one of those situations where like Solo itself, you know, the film itself, I like more the more I kind of sit with it. I think the more I read this book, the more I'll come to appreciate it. So we are cruising through, I think, the solo novelization comes out pretty close to the solo home release. So we'll probably get an episode in before that, which means our next episode will be Lindsay. Do you know what it is? Oh, I don't. I feel like I should, but I don't. That's all right. I have the list. Lost stars. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I definitely should have remembered that one. Yes. So we'll be jumping into lost stars next. Um, and then after that, we are actually going to hit both of the Battlefront books at the same time. So if you are playing along at home, those are your next two reading assignments. Uh, we'll expect full book reports with cited sources, um, no plagiarizing, any of that stuff. Um, if you need any help, I just went through a nine-hour training on it, and I can do that for you. So, uh, But just, just read the book, like what you like, have fun, keep reading, keep writing, whatever you do. Just don't burn the sacred text. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and it, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text.